Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Thanks for being here today. If it's your first time here, uh, me too. But I trust you feel really welcome and, uh, and very much at home. I want to read for you from Numbers chapter 13, uh, starting at verse 27. Numbers 13, starting at verse 27. If you're new to church, let me bring you up to speed. Um, Israel had been uh, slaves in Egypt 400 years. I don't know how long you've had your problem, but uh, 400 years they had been under the oppression of Pharaoh But they never gave up hope because God had given them a promise. God promised them at some point I will bring you out of slavery into freedom and I'll I'll give you a land that will be flowing with milk and honey. I'll give you a future and a hope. Isn't it amazing? It doesn't matter how dark your horizon. It doesn't matter how the clouds gather. There is always a tomorrow if you just keep your faith in God. And uh, though it tarries, it eventually comes. After 400 years, God, through Moses, leads the people of Israel miraculously out of Egypt. They go through the desert and they come to the edge of what the Bible calls the promised land, a fertile, lush piece of territory that is teeming with life. And uh, the Israelites are on the verge of possessing it. But before they do, they decide to select 12 good men to check it out. And bring back a report of that which they are about to enter into. What does tomorrow look like? And Numbers 13, starting at verse 27, records the report that the 12 spies brought back to Moses and the Israelite congregation. Let me read it for you. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Here's some of its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jezebites, the Amorites. There's a lot of bad people there. (laughs) Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up at once and take possession. We are well able to do this. But the men had gone up with him and said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great, even the women were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, let alone how we must have seemed to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept. The Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is God bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness toward us. Father, I pray for every person here, whether it's our first time in church or whether we've been here a million times, I thank you, each of us, though coming from different backgrounds, though facing different challenges, is greatly loved of God. Lord, I thank you that you have a hope and a future for each one of us. I pray, let your word encourage us today, no matter what we're facing or going through. Let us be better people, because we're in the house of faith today, in Jesus' name. And if you're breathing, say, Amen. 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 I saw a poster of a massive uh, shipwreck, uh, an enormous vessel that had run aground and remained snagged on a rocky outcrop. Uh, Caught in this perilous position, completely at the mercy of the wind and the waves and the weather, all of which had combined to reduce this once mighty vessel to a rusting ruin. 
But the slogan on the bottom of the poster caught my attention. It said in bold letters, who knows, perhaps the sole purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to others. I remember looking at that and thinking, I hope my life is not a warning to others. I'd like it to be an inspiration to others. I hope it's an encouragement to other people. But the story of the 10 negative spies who, when life called for faith, they ran away fearful. When the situation demanded courage, they ran away as cowards is recorded forever as a warning to you and I, things we must not do, should not do, don't have the luxury of doing if we want to possess all God's got for us. Make no mistake, God's got a great future for you, but make no mistake, it's not a sure thing. Because there's a difference between magic and miracles. The Bible does not talk about magic. It talks about miracles. It's important you understand the difference. Magic is where someone says, Shazam! And it's all done for you. But God is not into magic. He's into miracles. And miracles are much more difficult to perform. Because magic is just God clicking his fingers and doing it all. But a miracle is where God causes something to happen in you and I. And so fallen, faulty, frail people rise up in faith. And a miracle is where we partner with God to see something happen. So God has great promises for all of us, but they're not a sure thing because a miracle always requires a response of faith from us. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because everyone who comes to him must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This story that we've just read is recorded forever. As a warning to you and I, things we must not do, should not do, don't have the luxury of doing. If you want to fulfill the promises of God in your life, there are certain things you must determine never, ever, ever to do. Let me give you six of them, maybe 30 of them if I get inspired. (laughs) Number one, if you want to possess God's future for your life, here's the first thing you've got to determine. You are not going to dwell on difficulties. This is really important. If, if you want to be all God has called you to be, you're just going to make a simple decision. I am not going to dwell on difficulties. I um, counted up in my uh, version of the scripture how many words the spies used to describe the promised land. You know, um, in terms of describing how bad and how difficult and how horrible and how problematic the future was, they, they use 120 words. To describe all the challenges, the obstacles, the, 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 the things they're going to struggle with. They use 120 words to describe all the problems compared to 11 words to describe how good the land is. Is it any wonder when they gave 90% of their conversation to reasons why not that they never did? Is it any wonder when they gave 90% of their emotional energy, 90% of their meditation to all the problems, all the difficulties, all the obstacles, that all they found were difficulties, problems, and obstacles? In life, there are always obstacles and there are always opportunities. And what you dwell on determines what you dwell in. God gives us great promises, but there are also a plethora of problems. And you've got to determine, are you going to dwell on the problems or are you going to dwell on the promises? And whatever you dwell on determines what you dwell in. Life is always a mixed bag. There's always opportunities and there's always obstacles. Doesn't the Apostle Paul say, God has set before me an open door with many adversaries. And so you can focus on the open door or the many adversaries. So I've just learned if Paul says, open door with many adversaries, whenever I see many adversaries, I start to get excited because there must be an open door. Why else would I be faced with so many? Why would the devil mess around with me? I mean, what threat am I to the devil unless I'm a threat to the devil? If there are adversaries forming against you, the scripture says, many adversaries open door. So when adversaries are on your horizon, start looking for an open door. 
Why else would you have adversaries except they're trying to obscure from your view the door God has set before you to walk into something greater? David says, the Lord has set before me a table. Where? In the presence of my enemies. So now when I see enemies, I just start to look for the table. Because you always get both promises and problems, obstacles and opportunities. And what you dwell on determines what you dwell in. So you've got to make a decision. I'm going to dwell on the promises, not dwell on difficulties. What do you find yourself talking about most when you're with your spouse in the car? Do you talk about all the problems, all the obstacles, all the challenges? Or do you talk about the promises God gave you? That word that you received so many years ago that you've never let go of and you're still believing for it to come to pass. Some people are experts on problems. In fact, they can find a problem in any solution. You've you got to determine, I am not going to dwell on difficulties. Let me read you a brilliant description of a problem. It's found in 1 Samuel 17, verses 4 to 7. It says, a champion went out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. You know, Goliath. Listen to this. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of mail. The coat weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze shin armor on his legs, a bronze javelin across his shoulders. He had a spear, at the head of which weighed 600 shekels of iron. And, and here's my question, having read that, how on earth did they know? I mean, think about this. Goliath is on the other side of a great valley. So fair enough, from here to there, you can see he's big. In fact, I, I would say he's, he's bigger than most. But they don't say he's big or even he's bigger than most. They say he's six cubits and a span. How do they know that? <laughs> that? They don't just say he's got a spear. They can tell you the exact weight of the tip of the spear. They can even tell you he's got bronze shin armor. They know his exact physical dimensions, his clothing, his weaponry. The only detail they don't give is the color underwear he's wearing, and I'm sure they knew. They just thought that inappropriate to put in holy writ. How on earth did they know all this stuff about this problem? I tell you how they knew. The moment they saw this problem, they raced back to their tents and they logged on to www.goliath.com and they downloaded every little bit of information there was to know about this problem. They sent away for a prospectus and two weeks later it arrived in the mail a glossy brochure describing Goliath in full colour. Sandra Sully did a program on the 10 network said when giants turn bad. They didn't just watch it, they recorded it. So when the kids got home from school, they could all be in awe of this pro- They practically idolised this problem. They were brilliant at describing the problem. You know, we don't need more people who are brilliant at describing problems. We already have the Herald Sun and they do a magnificent job. Let the age and the Herald Sun describe the problems. What Victoria desperately needs is some people who can stand and articulate the promises, who can vividly and boldly describe the promises God has for our children, for our families, for our economy, for our communities. Some people are brilliant at describing problems. Let the church never be known for that. We are not those who stand and pontificate about all the problems. We are those who draw people's attention to the magnificence of God's promises and keep pointing people to that because what you dwell on determines what you dwell in. So if you want to dwell on problems, just keep dwelling on them and that's all you'll ever see. You've got to determine, I'm not going to dwell on problems. Don't allow yourself the luxury. Psalm 16 verse 8. David says, I've set the Lord always before me. I like that. I've set the Lord always. Be- How many of you know there's always a lot of things before me? It's Monday tomorrow. Damn it. There's always a lot of things before us, right? There's a whole lot. But David says, I've set the Lord. Out of everything I'm facing, I've set the Lord before me. Now, now the very next word is the word therefore. Because what you dwell on has direct and profound implications. 
for every area. He says, I've set the Lord before me, therefore. He could have said, I've set my unemployment before me, therefore. Whatever you dwell on determines what you, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So David says, I've set the Lord always before me, therefore. Now listen to what it says. He says, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure. David says, because I've set the Lord before me, my, uh, my, my uh, tongue rejoices. In other words, you can tell whether someone dwells on promises or problems based on their conversation. Didn't Jesus say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? I can tell within two minutes talking to you in the foyer whether you're obsessed with problems or whether you're absolutely excited about the promises of God but because your conversation betrays you. He says, my heart is glad. In other words, the, the, the demeanor of my life is affected. The, the way I walk, my gait, some people just drag their bottom lip along the footpath and you can tell they're problem dwellers. You can see it on their face. The, the, the spirit, the attitude, the demeanor of their life gives it away. David says, because I've set the Lord before me, not only is my conversation sanctified, but, but, but the vibe. Yeah. The, the, the spirit from my life is affected because I'm, I'm dwelling on promises. But then he says something remarkable. A couple of thousand years before medical science confirms it, David says, what I dwell on is so profound and significant, it even affects my physical health. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure. What do they say? Something like 80% of illness is attributed to things like stress, anxiety, worry, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. And David says, I have discovered, not through medical science, but I just know it to be real in my life. When I dwell on problems, it affects my body negatively. But when I dwell on the promises of God, it actually becomes health to my bones listen you got to make a decision in life am i going to dwell on problems or am i going to dwell on promises you've got to determine i am not going to dwell i know you've got some some of you are sitting next to them but but you don't dwell no i mean the person on the other side number two watch this it's a progression here's the second thing you must never do you're listening to this, sarah number one you can't don't dwell on difficulties because if you dwell on difficulties, here's the next thing you end up doing. You can't help it. It's a continuum. It's a natural result. When you dwell on difficulties, you end up dramatizing your difficulties. Numbers 13 verse 23 says, The land through which we went despise a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw were men of great stature. When you dwell on difficulties, it's amazing how large they grow. A land that flows with milk and honey becomes a land that devours its inhabitants. We saw the sons of Anak. If you read the book of Joshua, there were three sons of Anak. Three giants becomes all the people we saw were men of great stature. When you dwell on the difficulties, it isn't long before you start to dramatize them way beyond their actual size. We say things like, I can't afford it. Now, you've never done a budget. You've never worked out how you could curtail your wife's spending or, or thought about removing her credit card. You just make a blanket statement, we can't afford it. We say things like, well, there's nothing I can do about it now. It's too late. People just aren't interested. Nothing will ever change. That's just the way things are. I'm too young. I'm too old. We make these gross generalizations that dramatize our difficulty way beyond its actual size and convince ourselves there's nothing we can do. I'm sure Goliath grew the more they talked about him. Here's a question. Why, why do we dramatize our difficulties? If you dwell on them, you'll dramatize them. Churches are full of Drama queens. How do you end up saying, I tell you, 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 when you dwell on difficulties, you always end up a drama queen. You, you start dramatizing them. We tend to dramatize our difficulties because it excuses us from taking action. 
Think about it. If the spies had come back from uh, the promised land and they'd said, Moses, I've got to be honest, um, it, uh, it's, it's, it's a land that, I, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It, it flows with milk and honey. It's, it's amazing. But there is going to be some opposition and and i reckon we're going to have some casualties moses would have said look if it's that good a land if it's that prosperous even if there's some collateral damage it's worth the sacrifice right but instead they came back and said it's a land that devours it's it's rocks and not even don burke could do something with that backyard (laughs) well if it's just rocks and weeds what's the point so they went back to their tents sat down watched youtube and felt justified doing nothing if they'd come back from the promised land and said moses this land i mean it's it, it's it's incredible, but but there are some big guys there. I mean, there, there are a few guys who I mean, they're, they're like giants. And Moses would have said, three giants over there, six hundred thousand medium-sized blokes over here. We ought to have a shot." But instead, they came back and said, "All the men were men of great size. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, let alone how we must have." And so, well, well, if they're all giants, what hope do we have? And so they went back to their sofas and felt justified remaining the way that they were. Listen, if you're going to dramatize anything, don't dramatize the problems, dramatize the promises of God in your life. If you're going to get a little carried away, if you're going to get a little overboard, if, if you're going to be prone to, to uh, blowing things up, blow up the promises and the potential of God toward your life. Not the problems, because the truth is you cannot exaggerate enough the promises of God. Because doesn't the scripture say God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask, think, or in other words, you can't overstate God's potential in your life. You cannot overstate the promises and the power of God toward you. You can certainly overstate your problems, and many of us do, and that's our problem. If you dwell on difficulties, you'll end up dramatizing your difficulties and convincing yourself there's nothing you can do. But if you meditate on the promises of God and magnify God's power towards your life, all of a sudden tomorrow is a real possibility for blessing. Here's the third thing. You're following this? Number one, you've got to determine, I don't dwell on difficulties. Because if I dwell on difficulties, I end up dramatizing. And I do not want to be a drama queen. But number three, if you go down this road, number three is you start diminishing yourself. Watch it. If you, if you dwell on difficulties, you dramatize the difficulties, and there's an inverse relationship between how big your difficulties are getting and how big you become. You actually become small. Numbers 13, verse 33 says, We seemed like grass. See, they said, All the land, it devours its inhabitants, and all the people were men of great stature. And the next thing they say is, We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So, so here's what happens if you dwell on difficulties, you always end up drama because you're dwelling on them, so you dramatize them. And, and the bigger you make your problems, the smaller you make yourself. Yeah. We say things like, well, I haven't done it yet, so why get my hopes up now? I, I actually heard someone say, I don't want to get too happy because if I do, something will go wrong. <laughs> people say, oh, I don't deserve for God to bless me. I don't deserve a second. If people really knew me. And, and, and we so dramatize our difficulties, not realizing we're at the same time diminishing ourselves. I remember visiting a family in our church. Um, the mother uh, had been going through chemotherapy and quite extensively and she'd just gotten back from her latest round of chemo and uh, so she'd lost her hair and she was looking quite frail. Uh, but I was around there because her kids were in our youth group and so we're having morning tea and we're sitting in the uh, lounge area and so she's there with her husband. She's got a scarf on her head and just resting and, and her uh, son has got some of his teenage mates around we're all sitting having morning tea and, and then one of the teenage boys spoke I don't know if you've ever had the unfortunate situation of being 
present when a teenage boy speaks. Um, it's not something I'd ever recommend. Avoid it if you possibly can, because it never makes much sense. Um, but this kid did what most teenage boys do. He, he opened mouth without first engaging brain. And, and, and th- this is what he said. He said, Mrs. Davidson, I, be- I, thought you'd nev- I, I bet you never thought you'd be a cancer victim. And the room just went silent. I, I just started to pray, Lord, kill that kid. He's an idiot. And, and the Lord didn't. And so we just sat there. And, and no one knew what to say. I mean, this kid, seriously? It, and then Mrs. Davidson spoke. I'll never forget what she said. She was so gracious. She looks at this kid and she says, please, never call me a cancer victim. Cancer is an alien cell I am fighting with everything I have, but it's not me. Please, I am not a cancer victim. Cancer is not who I am. It's something I'm fighting, but it's not me. And I, I remember thinking that that was worth the price of admission. Because how many of you know people who describe themselves in light of their problems? I, I, I'm redundant, I'm a single parent, I'm this, I'm that. And, and they describe themselves in light of their problems. And, and when you describe yourself in light of your problems, all you're doing is diminishing yourself. You're exaggerating your problem and an inverse relationship occurs where, where you start to become smaller. I, I am sure the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was about Christian parents who focused on difficulties. <laughs> and, and they so dramatized all the difficulties that, that they diminished themselves. David says in Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, don't describe yourself in light of your problems. Describe yourself in light of who God is and in light of God's promises for your life. Because when you describe yourself in light of your problems, you become very small. But when you describe yourself in light of God's ability, God's power and God's grace towards you, all of a sudden you start to stand up tall watch this if you dwell on difficulties you'll dramatize your difficulties if you dramatize your difficulties you'll diminish yourself and here's the fourth thing you'll end up doing you'll end up discouraging everybody around about you this is why i said you don't have the luxury of dwelling on difficulties don't be so selfish as to always be focused on the problems it's a selfish thing to do because you don't just shrink yourself you end up discouraging everybody else around you reading about the golden gate bridge in san francisco a beautiful piece of architecture, but with a dark side, because tragically, many people have chosen to take their own lives by jumping from the Golden Gate Bridge. This book was documenting a number of these episodes and uh, told the story of, of one young woman who was perched precariously on the edge of the building, about to jump when a passing motorist quickly pulled over and leaping from his vehicle yelled out, don't do it. She said, stay away, I'm going to jump. He said, how old are you? She said, I'm 19. He said, what on earth could have been so bad at age 19, you've got your whole life. How at age 19 could you be so done with life? You want to end it all. She says, you want to know? He says, yeah, I want to know. And so for the next four and a half hours, she described every problem, every difficulty, every obstacle she'd ever counted, at the end of which they both jumped. <laughs> the, the, the question is not, will you affect other people? The question is, do we want anyone to get what you've got? I remember reading about a battle in which two uh, generals uh, were working together, their armies aligned against a mutual foe. And as they're standing on a grassy hill overlooking their soldiers in combat, all of a sudden a cannonball comes flying out of nowhere and just grazes one of the generals on the arm. Blood begins to pour from uh, the open wound, but he doesn't flinch at all. He keeps his eyes fixed on the battle and he simply says to his assistant, quickly fetch me my red jacket. Well, his assistant runs away, comes back and helps him 
put on a red jacket. He continues giving directions to his men on the field of battle. Well, well his comrade standing beside him watches this and is confused. He says, get to the medical tent. I mean, you're badly into There's blood everywhere. Go get that scene to. His, his uh, associate says, no, no, I'm fine. His comrade says, well, I don't understand. Like, clearly you're not fine. You don't go and get medical assistance or get it stitched. You just put on a red jacket. What on earth is with the jacket? He says, well, you're right. I'm bleeding profusely. And I would hate for my men to see that I am bleeding so because they would be disheartened. I, as their leader, bleeding like this. So I've just put on a red jacket to disguise the flow of blood so, so they won't be discouraged in battle. Well, his comrade is, is inspired. What great leadership. What, what, what a phenomenal model of, of courage and leadership. As he's contemplating this great leadership lesson, a cannonball comes whizzing past his own face, missing by millimeters. But unflinchingly, he says to his assistant, quickly, fetch me my brown trousers. Here's the point. It, it's, it's not a question of... It's, it's, it's not a question of will you affect other people. It's do we want anyone to get what you've got? Are you the sort of person, to be honest, we ought to wrap you in plastic and quarantine you in the corner because I would hate for anyone to get what's on you. I mean, man, you are so depressing. Oh, the air conditioning was too low. The sound was too noisy. The worship leader did this, did that. And, and all we ever hear is problems and difficulties and complaints. And as you speak, the life is being sucked out of us. We ought to just quarantine you in the corner and keep Or are you the sort of person we ought to throw you into the midst of the congregation? Because the more people that would rub up against you as iron sharpens iron, we'd all be better off if we got your spirit. Here's the question. How do you make people feel? Think about it for a second. How do, you make, how do you make your husband feel? How do you make your wife feel? How do you make your kids feel? Proverbs 17 verse 22 says, A happy heart is good medicine and a cheerful mind works healing, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Seriously, how do you make other people feel? A happy heart. Some people being around, it's just like medicine. It's, it's just you can feel it healing you and making you strong because the more they talk the more encouraged you become but other people the more they talk the more you can literally feel the life being sucked out of you here's what happens it, and it all starts with this if you if you dwell on difficulties you can't help it. you end up dramatizing them you end up diminishing yourself discouraging everybody around you and, and then fifth you end up and here's where it now starts to get really serious you end up denying your destiny you know, um, in the scriptures, it, it lists the names of, of the 12 spies who went in to check out the promised land. Pop quiz, um, name them. Now, a rhetorical question, I won't get you to name them. I'll, I'll just tell you what the result would be. If I said to this congregation this morning, name the 12 spies, I, I, I think the majority of us would come up with at least one, Joshua. A number of us would probably come up with two names, Joshua and Caleb. But I defy anyone in this room, including you, Pastor Ben, to come up with a third name. Just, just be quiet for a second and listen. It's the sound of crickets. Not a single one of us can name a third or fourth or fifth, though the names of the ten negative spies are all recorded in Scripture. But the reason we can't name any of them is because, as I think it was Abraham Lincoln wrote, no one builds a monument to critics. If you travel through Europe, there are statues everywhere, but you never see a statue of someone wagging a finger with an inscription that says, I told you you couldn't do it. 
No one remembers that guy. And yet their names are recorded in Scripture. Now, in Old Testament times, people didn't name their children as we do today after a, uh, a favorite uncle or, or, or something even more um, obscure. Um, in Old Testament times, a child would be born and then they would look at that child and they would pray for prophetic insight and they would name the child according to the future destiny that they believed God had for that child. Let me read for you in English the translations of the 10 negative spies who ran away. Their names meant judge, avenger, deliverer, attack of the almighty, fortunate, people of God, cherished, majesty of God. If anyone was custom built to possess the promised land, it was deliverer. I mean, this kid was born. His parents looked at him and said, we are going to name you deliverer. I mean, this guy was was born for this purpose. Imagine your parents calling you avenger. What a great name. They're going to do a whole Marvel series after you. One of these kids was called Attack of the... Mum gave birth and called him Attack of the... Oh, that must have been some labor. (laughs) And they looked in the mirror and they said, we seem like grasshoppers. See, God determined the destiny of deliverance and possession and achieving great things. And, and, And because they dwelt on difficulties, dramatized their difficulties, diminished themselves, discouraged everyone else, they ended up denying their destiny. And God said, deliver it. And they said, grasshopper. In fact, specifically they said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight. Let me tell you, I don't care how your life seems this morning. Not because I don't care. It's just that how things seem is quite irrelevant to anything we're discussing. You say, well, you don't understand how my life seems. Who cares how your life seems? How things seem can change in a moment. How things seem can turn on a dime. One phone call can change how things seem. Circumstances come and go. The vicissitudes of life, the ebb and flow of circumstance is a continual thing. But the word of the Lord endures for ever. So if God called you a deliverer, but you seem like a grasshopper, you've got to make a determination. Are you going to go with how things seem or are you going to go with what God said? And how dumb are you if you start making permanent decisions based on impermanent circumstances? Don't write off your future based on how things seem at any given moment because how things seem at any given moment is so precarious and so open to change. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Let me give you one more point, then we better finish. Though I am preaching good this morning. Number six, here's what happens. If you dwell on difficulties, you end up dramatizing your difficulties. If you dramatize your difficulties, you end up diminishing yourself, discouraging everybody else, denying your destiny. Well, it's never going to happen. You know, it was a, that was a dream I had when I was a kid. Well, you know, a lot of water's been under the bridge and, and uh, you know, I've got to be more real. You end up denying your destiny. But here's the final thing. You end up desiring the devil you know. You heard that expression? Well, better the devil you know. I'm like, mm, better no devil at all. I'm always amazed with, well, better the devil you know. I'd rather fight new devils, not make friends with old ones. Listen to what it says, Numbers 14, verse 4. They said to one another, let's choose a captain and go back to Egypt. That's amazing. They want to go back to where they were. Amazing. I mean, in Egypt, they were slaves to an evil tyrant. They were beaten and abused. Their children were systematically murdered. And they said, oh, those were the days. They were kept in chains and treated like dogs. Their entire lives were spent in forced labor. Their own children were killed right in front of them. They said, yeah, but at least we knew what to expect. What kind of reception did they envisage when they got back to Egypt? Knock, knock. Who's there? 
The Israelites. The Israelites who? The Israelites who were building your cities until we all ran away and your whole economy collapsed. The Israelites who, you remember those plagues of, of blood when you turned the taps on, it was just blood that clogged up all of your drains. The plague of frogs, where there was frogs in everything, including in your bed. The plague of boils. I mean, some of you could hardly walk without wincing. The, the, the plague of darkness, where you couldn't see your own hand in front of your own face. The, the, the plague of hail that killed all your livestock. We're back! What did they think was back there? I'll tell you, nothing. What do you think is back there? When you start hankering for the old days, about how good it used to be compared to today. Oh, if only I could go back. You can't go back. And even if you could, there's nothing back there because God's not back there. He's always in your future asking you to take a step of faith forward. But you end up with people hankering for a day gone by because they dwelt on difficulties, they dramatized the difficulties, they diminished themselves, discouraged everybody else, denied their destiny and spend their entire life pining for yesterday. If you want to possess God's future for your life, you don't dwell on problems, you meditate on promises. I'm not saying you don't have problems, but you meditate on the promises. You, you, don't, you don't dramatize your problems, you, you magnify the Lord. You continue to remind yourself how great. That's why praise and worship is so important. Because I spent all week dramatizing my problems. So thank you, worship team, for encouraging me for 20 minutes. Magnify the Lord. That will help me. You don't diminish yourself. You encourage yourself. If God is for me, who can be against me? We're well able to do this. You don't discourage everybody around. You start motivating and, and inspiring those around you. Come on. Together. We're well able. You don't deny your destiny. You encourage yourself. It doesn't matter how things seem. God's word doesn't change. It accomplishes all it was sent out for. Man, it might have seemed for a few years like it's difficult. It seemed for 400 years the Israelites would always be slaves. But how it seems will change. Just hold on to the word God gave you. And as for desiring a devil, you know, hey, listen, God's got a great promise for you. Don't hanker for what was. Believe the best is yet to come. Let me finish with this last thought. In Numbers 14, uh, there are two spies who actually enter into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. In Numbers 14, it says this of those two. God says, um, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, he will enter in and possess all of the promise. Because he had a different spirit. You know why that encourages me? It, it encourages me because it doesn't say because he had a different financial situation. It doesn't say because he came from a different socioeconomic background. It doesn't say because he had a different IQ, because he had different parents, because he had a different upbringing. It says because he had a different spirit. It is what encourages me about that. Your upbringing, what happened yesterday, some of the decisions you made a year you can't go back and undo those things, but you can be responsible right now for the attitude of your spirit. He's because he had a different spirit. Well, it occurs to me that's the one thing I can and must have responsibility at any given moment for. I, I can adjust my spirit. To that. I, I, I can't undo that. I, I can't go back and do that all over again. I, I can't change so many things. But right now I can take responsibility for the attitude of my heart. And God says, exactly. You take responsibility for what you can and God will do the rest. And the one thing I can do is adopt an attitude of faith. And the scripture says that's enough. If you'll make a decision today, no matter what you're facing, you know what? I'm going to face it with faith in God. 
You might not have faith in a lot of other things, but I, but I just believe God's got something good in store and I hold on to that and God says that is enough to start to turn things around. I want to encourage you today, whatever you're facing, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done, God has an amazing future for you. You've just got to make a decision to adopt an attitude of faith. Stop whinging and complaining and regurgitating all the problems. Stop picking old scabs and wondering why it never heals. Focus on the... That was a bit gross, wasn't it? Focus... Focus on the promises of God and what He's got for you and believe for God to help. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.